we were thinking, 1972, that's not very far down the line, you know, it's six years. And uh, Richard Prince told us, you know, you're only going to have two third tide years. And we just finished one, you know, and this is how many years later? A fantastic blessing, a third tide year. And I said, well, we'll only get two and then one year release and then it'll be, a, it'll be 72. And uh, down the line, Charles Dorothy became the pastor in Houston and he said, well, 72 is a little bit early. Maybe 75 or more likely 82 and here uh, 92 come, 2002, 2012 and all these twos, Christ hasn't come. So here, we've always set dates and I'm glad to hear Daryl says, I'm not setting dates. It appears these things could happen then, but it's not definite. Only God knows. And so here, pointed out, Christ said, not even the angels in heaven know when this is going to occur. But as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. How was it in the days of Noah? They were marrying and giving in marriage and, you know, and they were doing their own thing and they had their own way of life. And everything was going okay, and they probably for 120 years looked down on Noah. We're being looked down on right now. You know, we've heard that. We've heard that in the sermons up to now. We're still hearing it. The church is looking down on us. The world looks down on us. We're a bunch of cooks. We're thinking that we're having the Feast of Tabernacles for the first time in Thousands of years where Christ lives. So we're a bunch of cooks, aren't we? <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see, won't we? Because God's opened our understanding, and the world doesn't understand those things right now. They just don't know what's happening. So they don't know. Satan has confused people. And like it was in the days of Noah, it's the way it is today. Turn here to Second Timothy. Chapter three. Verse one. Second Timothy three one. Sort of tells us what the days like, what must have been like in the days of Noah it says this know also, in the last days, that's an interesting statement because throughout the minor prophets, throughout the major prophets, we read we're in the last days, in the last days. So here, Paul says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And do we live in perilous times today? I mean, think about it. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Look at our Congress. Look at the uh, leadership in the states, in the cities, in the counties. Even in the churches, worldly organizations, and in the church of God. Where people have put themselves above everything else. It's something that we need to look and examine our own life because he says in the last days, men will be lovers of their own selves. Covetous? I mean, is this world covetous? We do, do we find that coveting is probably a fantastic thing going on? We want what everybody else wants. And we're upset if we don't get it. We boast, we're proud, we're blasphemers. <laughs> that happens. And even though Paul said that, and Christ inspired to say that we should respect those that are leaders, but yet we blaspheme the leaders, we're disobedient to parents. It's appalling to me to go into a grocery store or Walmart or any place and see children speak to their parents the way they do. Because that's not God's way. And yet, 
it's so easy to let our children take rule over us. So our children blaspheme our parents by uh, disobedient to our parents. We're unthankful. Do we really thank God from the bottom of our heart that he's opened our understanding to this knowledge? That he's allowed us to be here, to be a part of what's given to us. And unholy. We've got sermons on talking about clean and unclean, holy and unholy. And how clean things, the things that God set aside as things to eat, reflect on holiness. And so if we're, if we, uh, eat what God says is right to eat, and we think of spiritually we eat the things that are right to eat. And yet, this is the society we live in, without natural affection. And it is becoming more and more a thing to have unnatural affection. Man for woman, woman for man. We have men for men. I don't understand that. Oh, women for women, and it just blows my mind. Because this is an unnatural affection. False accusers. Something that is so prevalent today. Every place we go, it's so easy to accuse somebody without first sitting down and giving it thought. So we, we want to point the finger. Because if I'm pointing the finger at you, certainly you're going to look at me. And I've seen that happen in Congress. They'll find one person doing something wrong that they can jump on. It's much like a bunch of chickens. They take all the feathers off of the others. So they'll jump on one congressman more than anybody. Because, hey, they can look at me. And that happens. That could happen to us here if we're not careful. You know, we've heard how Satan is wanting to destroy even the church. False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despising of those that are good. We are being despised even as we try to be good in God's sight. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. How is it that the church of God, when they select the place of the Feast of Tabernacles, they first look for pleasure? Well, if that pleasure is doing God's way of life, then that's pleasure. But if pleasure is to the enjoyment of society, all the places we can go, and whether it be cruises or whatever, or Disney World, or um, I know we used to go to St. Pete. It was the thing. The middle of the feast always was so depressing to me because when you had, say, seven, 8,000 people and being on ushering and knowing, because I was taking the tally, that 7,000 maybe on the first day and 6,500 on the second, but the fourth day, there might only be 3,000 people. And there's the rest of them. Disney World. Uh, sea world, lovers of pleasure. It's the wrong pleasure that we love. And I think our attitude here, since what I've seen so far, our attitude here is we love the pleasure of being with God and the teachings that God's given to us. So we find that we live in that kind of a world today, a world that loves pleasure. And where did that all come from? It comes from an attitude that we don't want to do it God's way. We want something more than what God wants to give to us. Go to Isaiah 14. It isn't, this isn't a human thing, but it is something that has been brought out and Daryl pointed out yesterday. It's something that's been infiltrated into our minds by another being. Isaiah 14, verse 12. 
God, Christ here, speaking to uh, Hillel. Hillel. I know it says Lucifer here. Uh, and it says, how are you fallen from heaven, from a position that you had, O son of the morning, son of the morning, not the morning star. He's the sun. He's only considered, as God says, that angels are sons of God, too. They were his created. So how are you fallen from uh, heaven? How are you cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? So here again, what Darrell brought out yesterday, who weakens the nations? It's Satan. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. What is that attitude? He had a job to do. He was given a responsibility to prepare something that God had for the future. But it wasn't good enough, was it? It's that attitude of, it's not good enough. I want more. I've got to have more. For you said in your heart, I will send to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Satan had the attitude of jealousy. His attitude was, God has something that I want. And he's hiding it from me. Isn't that what happened back in the Garden of Eden? When he came to Eve and said to Eve, God is holding something back from you. And right away she got to thinking, well, hey, there's something more important in life. Well, I want it. So they have an ad on TV about, you know, people have this money put in, I forget what it is. Anyway, they get up there and they say, it's my money and I want it now. Well, that's the attitude that Satan gave to Eve, wasn't it? God promised eternal life and I want it now. I can't wait for it. I've got to have my stuff now. It's terrible to, to find ourselves turning our lives over to the wrong influence. So, he said, he exalted his throne above God to sit upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I wanted to be above God. Here is a created being wanted to take his father's throne. And that happens with children today, don't they? I mean, I've, I've had one child one time come to me and stood up to me like, I'm going to take over. And I, I told him, no, you're not. There's the door. I'm head of the house. God says that to Satan. No, you're not. I'm head of the house. He says that to us, too. But if we listen to that influence, as Daryl pointed out, we could be like the world. We could believe false doctrine, false statements. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like, or maybe he wanted to say, I will be the Most High. You know? His attitude was, I want more than was given to me. We're here on the Feast of Tabernacles to learn to not want more than is given to us. But we're here to learn to teach, okay, if you would. We don't always know how to teach. You find that page I've got for that. I tried to organize this, but like I said, I had things down and then I get the sermon in the middle of the feast. <laughs> so, 
Maybe I can blame it on you, Daryl. You uh, came over this morning and I didn't get it all organized right. <laughs> well, everybody else lays everything on Daryl, you know. I've heard he's blamed for um, telling us we have to third tithe. Of course, I read that here in God's Word. I I hear people blame Daryl for um, a lot of things. Uh, Taking all the money that's coming in for his own personal benefits. And uh, I haven't seen that because I see he puts a lot of money himself in. But we like to blame each other, don't we? We like to find out that oh, he's got more than we. You know, we're here to learn, okay? Our our responsibility is to learn how to do things God's way. I think Mr. Armstrong understood that years ago when he started Ambassador College. He knew that uh, there was a necessity to teach. Okay, we all cannot is we're not there and teach. I I know that when we first are called, we first have a mind open to these things, and it's just so astounding. You know, I was a Methodist too. Well, I was in the Methodist church. Not where I was. Probably a Methodist too. You know, you have a method of doing things in the, in the right way. But hey, so God opened my mind in in 1963. Or yeah, it was. Since 62, I'm sorry, in, out in, in the desert in uh, New Mexico. I heard Herbert Armstrong for the first time, and you know, I couldn't understand why I couldn't go and tell my parents, look at what this says. You've got to keep the Sabbath. And they said, you're goofy, you know, you're crazy. Everybody keeps Sunday. But that's not what the Bible says. And I tried to tell them, and they said, they just shook their head. I said, I can't keep Christmas, Dad. That's a pagan holiday. No, it ain't. You're doing good for people. I said, how do you do good for people? You give somebody a gift and expect them to give you more. And here we're saying we're doing this for Christ. So we turn our back on Christ and give each other gifts. How is it? So I didn't know how to teach my parents. They thought I was upset. And all of us, somewhere down the line, have... Have uh, that happen? I remember in 2000. You know, here we've gone through a, a church to splitting and falling apart. And in 2000, uh, I was with one minister. He died. He said they're doing nothing again. We bounced from place to place. And then I heard the minor prophets, and I said, "Wow, that sounds like I heard." Back in 1962, this is God speaking again, opening my understanding. And I talked to Daryl on the phone, and I said, "Wow, there's going to be over 300 people come to the feast this year." And Daryl said, "Well, uh, right now I think it might be my wife, maybe, and myself." I said, "Well, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to. I think if everybody hears the minor prophets, we're going to have 300 people. Where are we going to put them?" So we had 70. I didn't know how to reach out and tell people I was... We were, we were meeting with a couple in Fort Myers. And they disfellowshipped us. There's only four of us. <laughs> they disfellowshipped us because we were going to go to Zion and keep the feast. And because we believed the minor prophets were for the church. And they disfellowshipped us. But I didn't know how to teach them. There was a couple up in, I guess there was about four people up there in, in Georgia. One of them was a white. Barbara and Bayer White's daughter married Timothy, I mean Anthony White. But they just fellowshiped us too. <laughs> but I think Mr. Armstrong understood years and years ago that when the time came for the millennium, which we're participating right now, we're practicing and learning how to deal with the millennium, right? How are we going to teach them? 
if we don't understand it, if we're not allowing God to teach us, then how can we teach them? Christ tells us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, He's going to make us kings and priests. Well, a king has a responsibility to lead the people the right direction. Priests have the responsibility to teach them godly righteousness. So here we're told, and also it's related back in Revelation 5.10, we're to be kings and priests. So we have offered to us a teaching opportunity. And, and we've got to take and put that into our mind. We can sit and hear sermons and go up to the preacher, like I remember them doing that in the Methodist church. They'd come out, to, out the door and minister. He'd be right out there in the front. He was the first one out, waiting to shake everybody's hand. Everybody come by and say, that's a great sermon. Fantastic. Thank you, preacher. Of course, many in the Church of God, I've heard that too. I go up to the minister and say, Man, you did a great sermon. And I've heard one of them, I forget which one it was, you know, I said, Yeah, what was it about? Well, um, uh, <laughs> it puts you on the spot, doesn't it? Then you feel like, Maybe I shouldn't open my mouth. <laughs> but God expects us to hear sermons and then go back over them. The sermons are, and when we had sermonettes, they were all there for teaching tools, but they were there to give you something to go back and go over it. You know? Uh, how does Satan affect us today? What is the purpose of the uh, Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread? How does that relate to my life. Can you, as an individual today, do you feel you're confident enough to explain to somebody who just went through the Holocaust, some friends, family members, uh, maybe countrymen, by the tens of thousands die? Because we're talking, I think somebody told me there was around 7 billion people today on this planet. And only around 10% come through. Out of 7 billion people? A lot of destruction. A lot of death. And it's going to take months and months to bury all these dead bodies. In fact, they will be so down the line, there will be nothing left but bones because they've decayed. There's so many people to die to be buried. Ask yourself right now. We just came through the millennium. I entered into the millennium. Can you explain to a point where they can understand, like we're hearing in sermons, can you explain to some of these people who have eyewitnessed, who have lived through uh, people eating each other, eating their children, seeing nuclear bombs blow off and people just vaporized, you know. Can you take at this moment in time and help them understand what the meaning of the Passover? Could you explain to them the purpose of unleavened bread? so that they would be able to understand that. So we are given teachers. And, you know, God inspires Daryl speaking. Are we learning from the way he speaks so that we can reach out to these people? Because they're going to need help. They're going to need loving, tender care be able to do it. And not all of them are going to do that. It reminds me back here in Zechariah. Because 
We know it's going to happen. You get to Zechariah, not Isaiah. The other Zechariah. Fourteen. Verse 16, And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations that come to Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. These people are going to have to be hand-held like babies. Are we ready to do that? That's the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles, isn't it? To learn that we're going to have to take in hand feed these people. Are you ready? Could you say at this point in time, I am ready? Well, I can't say that because just yesterday, tremendous things were brought out here. I, didn't, I never gave it that kind of thought. I mean, maybe hit and miss here and there, but not in the way it's been explained. So here these people are going to keep the feast. And it shall be that who will not come up of all the families of the earth to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. Isn't it going to happen? There are going to be people still hard-headed, aren't they? People that think, hey, I was a Methodist, I was a Baptist, I was a Mormon, I was a, a, a Muslim, I was a Shinto, a Hindu, or whatever it is. Whatever country they were from, whatever basic background they had. Can we go to them and say, let me tell you about the feast. If you don't show up, <laughs> you're going to be... In a desert, all right. <laughs> you know, what happened in Egypt when they had seven years of no rain? They became pretty hungry. And they were willing to give up everything and anything they had for a little bit of food. Here these people have come through a horrendous time and still they're not quite ready to give it all up yet. So, it says they're not going to have rain. And if the families of Egypt go not up and come not and have no rain, they will have no rain, there shall be a the plague with which the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. We're here to keep that feast. We're here to learn we're here to teach and help others to learn these things. It's so important. So very important. But we live in a world today that has been so influenced by the wrong society, the wrong way of life. We've been keeping the feast where God hasn't set the feast to be kept. I've always thought, how can you... Because I've taken a cruise. I thought when they were going on cruises, how are you going to do this? How can you keep the feast? You, you, maybe there's 5,000. I don't know whether they, when they got these cruises, whether they booked the whole thing or whether they had other people on there or not. But how do you, how do you keep, uh, how can you worship God? If your mind is to do something else, how can you worship God? And that's what the whole point is, to worship God. But we're so influenced by society and by Satan. And Satan teaches us that we, it's ours, this is my feast time, it's for me, it's what I want to do, and I'm going to have my way. Whether you like it or not, well, I'll tell you what, in the, in the millennium, those people that decide that they're going to do it their way are not going to get it their way. So are we ready?
to go out there and help these people see how to keep the feast. How to know what Pentecost is. How to know what trumpets is. Of course, they might understand trumpets. They might understand what they just came through. No, they won't be a part of the bride. These are going to be the ones that are going to become the first children down the line of the bride and of Christ in the grandchildren, the first grandchildren of the Father. So all that we have in this world today and everything there is all based and wrapped around one thing. What I want, and if you have it, I want it. And we teach that. I mean, it's, in the, it's on the TV all the time if we watch it. You know, have this brand new car. It's so much better to have a brand new car. Don't you know that? No matter what you have to suffer for it, buy it, go on, you know, it's yours. And we're so spoiled in this country, we go out and do that. We get ourselves up to our eyeballs in debt. And one paycheck or two paychecks gone, and we are hurting. We're hurting. And all that left around one thing. It's called jealousy. It all relates back to the one being who started it all in the first place. I want what you have, and I can't wait for it. And I'm sure that he understood he had to prepare the earth for what God is doing. But he didn't want to do that job, did he? He would want not to go God's way. And so he was jealous. Jealousy is a, an emotion of people wrapped around self-importance. What I want for me, I don't care what you want, it's what I want for me. Me first in everything I do. And, and when I looked at this and I thought about jealousy, I thought, well, you know, God says that He's a jealous God. Um, let's look at that. Let's see if I can find that here. Because I got, I did hope, uh, Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verse 14. For you shall worship no other gods. Here's God speaking through Moses, talking to the people, just like, like we sit here. God speaking to us through His servants. He says, For you shall have no other gods. Do we have other gods? Ask yourself. What about our car, our job? What about our family members? What about um, the food we want? Say, can that be a God? And here, people have all kinds of things. It's what is in our mind, in our heart, that's before God. The first thing we think about, the last thing we think about, what our pleasures are, what we want to do for me, and then for God. And that happens at the feast so many times. He says, For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God says He's a jealous God. Why? Because He wants to have a family? He wants a wife for His son? Yes. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. In other words, you know when you burn something, you see it consumes everything? God wants everything. But He made everything in the first place. He's a consuming fire, even a jealous God. But he has that right to be jealous, doesn't he? 
Look at John 1, 1. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here talking of Christ and the Father, saying here there are two gods. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, God's saying, I did it all. I created everything. We read other places where God says, all the gold is mine. Do we want some gold? Well, when the Father wants us to have it, it's his. We're going to get it. He says, all the silver's his. He said, the cattle on a thousand hills are his. So we find here Christ saying, I made everything. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So God created everything. We read on later, it says, where God's, Christ said, he made it all. He made it. He is God. So does he have a right to be jealous? Deuteronomy 6, verse 15. Deuteronomy 6, verse 15. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and destroy you from off the face of the earth. Does he have that right? What God wants from man is to love him. What man wants, because we're so influenced by Satan and Satan's attitude of jealousy, we want what God has, but we don't want to take and follow his direction. We want it. It's ours. We want it now. <laughs> but that's not the way God wants to do it. It was in Haggai 2 where God says, Silver is mine and the gold is mine, said the eternal. In Haggai 2. These things belong to Him. They're His. And yet... We're willing to listen to a wrong influence. Turn to James chapter 4. Verse 1. From whence comes, from whence from whence comes war and fighting among you? Come they not even hence from the lust that war in your members? So as a human being, we've turned our mind and this society and this world has turned their mind over to the wrong influence. We fight and we war. And even in our own little groups and in the the church of God, you know, it's how many different congregations are there? This one says, I'm the only one. You know, and they take that name. I'm the only church of God. Another one says, they're the living. So we war and fight even inside the church and even inside each congregation because we've seen them split and split and split. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war and yet you have not because why? We don't come to our Father and say, help us, teach us, lead us. Help us to do things your way. To honor you with our heart and mind and attitude. He calls us adulterers and adulteresses. Do we commit adultery by, spiritually speaking, committing adultery by 
allowing our minds to be controlled by Satan at times. Well, we're having another a God. So we're committing a, idolatry or adultery. We're adulterating our mind with the wrong influence. Know you not that the friendship of the world is the enemy of God? I sometimes don't think about that. If I want to be a friend of this world and all the things that they have in it, I don't sit there and think, hey, when I do that, because I want that for me, I want what they have, better cars, boats, a place where I can just go out there and throw some seed on the ground and have pups, good food, you know. And I become an enemy of God. If I put this world in front of God, it becomes my friend. And God becomes my enemy. Because if I'm so influenced to do things the wrong direction, because I'm, I want it. I want it. I want to do that. I want that too. Then I'm not being a friend of God. And God wants me to be his friend. Christ said, you're my friends. He calls us his friends. But can he call me friend if something else is more important? If this world and everything they're doing is more important to me. And I'm so influenced to do it that way. Do you think that the Scripture said in vain, the Spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy. It's jealousy, isn't it? It lusts to envy. But He gives more grace wherefore He, he said, God says, resist the proud. He resists the proud. People think how great they am, how great I am. I am the most important part. God resists those and gives grace to the humble. And we have to become a meek and humble people to be able to teach in the world tomorrow. We're going to have to learn how to be humble enough to reach out with tender, loving care and help these people. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And I think we here are submitting to God, to His teaching. The world doesn't. <coughs> well, he wants us to submit to Him and resist that temptation to get for me. Help me be better. Help me have the best. So we had a windstorm come through and turn something over. Do we say in our heart, well, why didn't that happen to that other person? He needed that to happen to them. Or are we so humble and say, let me help you out. Let me help you. Let me, let me put my heart into you and love you. We have to resist Satan and his pulls to be jealous and envious of other people. And when we resist Him, it will leave us. God promises that. It is a promise to us to do those things, to, to be with us. Go to First John chapter 2. First John 2 verse 15. And here again. Christ inspired the Apostle John. Christ taught them. Christ taught the Apostles. He took a lot of time to teach them how to do things the right way. And he was tender and loving and kind. He didn't just jump on them and beat them to pieces. I know, sometimes we think we're being beat up in the sermons. Well, I don't see that. I look at it as, God's trying to guide me in the, the right direction. And sometimes, as Christ said to the apostles, sometimes God spanks you. 
But if you're not spanked, then he says you're bastards. So I look out there and say, hey, spank me some more because I want to be a part of your family. I want to be loved by you. And as parents, you know, and, and I had eight children, I spanked my children, sometimes not the right way always, but the idea was to guide them in the right direction. Did they hate me for it? I don't think my, any of my children hate me. I think if something was needed, and I needed help, I'd have eight children out here, one way or another. If, they needed, if I needed help bad enough, or my wife needed help. So, if God corrects us, He's saying, I love you. I want you to do it better. And because he does that, I'm ready to listen. So I don't think God's beating me on the head during sermons. I'm sorry. I just don't do it that way. If if the sermon seems like it's at me, and sometimes, most of the time, almost always, I think, how did Daryl know I was doing that? (laughs) You know? (laughs) How did he find out I did that? He has a right, doesn't he? He made everything. His whole attitude was to create a family and Hillel came along and decided he didn't want God to have everything. He wanted what God wanted. And look what happened. A third of the angels went the wrong direction. And then he created man. And the first thing Hillel did as he became Satan, went to Eve and said, It's yours. It belongs to you. God's hiding it from you. It's yours. You should have it now. And right away, we bought right into that, didn't we? And today, television, ads on TV, in the magazines, on the radio, it all tells us the same thing. It's yours. You're Americans. It belongs to you. And you should have it now. We're too willing to buy into the wrong influence. Because God says if we love those things, we're not loving Him. He wanted to teach Adam the right way of life. He offered Adam 7,000 years of life. He said, in the day that you eat, in the day that you go contrary to me, dying, you're going to die. You will die. He could have lived 3,000 years and broke the law. He didn't even make a week. (laughs) Didn't even make a week of man days. And God's talking about God days. A thousand years is a day with God. He didn't even make a human week. And yet, he died not a thousand years old. He was nine hundred and some years old when he died. And did God lie? No. He kept his word, didn't he? Kept his word. You will not, in that day that you commit a contrary, the day that you turn to Satan, You're going to die. And he did in a God day. A thousand years. Within that time period, he died. Could have lived longer. Didn't. The problem with jealousy, and if you or I have jealousy for each other or other congregations or other things in this world, You know, it separates us from God. Jealousy separates you from God. So it's for our benefit that when we want something that someone else has or 
whether it be their job or their position or their family or their money or whatever, you know, it could be anything, you're separating yourself from God just like Adam and Eve separated themselves from God. And they didn't have the joy and peace that they should have had. Their marriage wasn't the greatest marriage because they separated themselves from God. Second uh, Corinthians 11. I think that's where I wanted to be. Second um, Corinthians 11, verse 2, verse 1. The, the Word of God uh, would... To God, you would bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Paul wanted the people to bear with Christ. He wanted them to be with God, and so he had godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that you may Present yourself chaste virgins to Christ. Paul's jealousy was godly. Godly jealousy is to be with God. To be whatever He has for us. Not to take over His position because we have to face the fact we will never hold Christ's position as a husband. We will never hold God the Father's position as the father. Well, we're always going to be the bride or a child. So, we have an opportunity, don't we? Each one of us. We have to learn to be humble and meek and to go out and do it in God's way. Romans chapter 1. I'm not going to get through all this. I got too many. I even got through the first page. <laughs> and Bear's looking at his watch and saying, hurry up, it's getting hot. <laughs> but Romans, is that? Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. When we have this jealousy to think that we have all the knowledge we have the capability ready. We be ready to do it. We become fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible men, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. When we present ourselves as better than God, we want what God has. We are following Satan's way of life. That's where it is. That's where it goes to. So we have a job, an opportunity right now. You and I have one. Our job has been given to us to learn how to teach in the world tomorrow. God is jealous when we walk away, when we turn to the world, when we want the world. Yes, God is jealous. Because he has spent so much effort and energy to bring you where you are today. So when you hear sermons like we've had over the past 12 years now, can we go back over them and see, have I made growth? Can I go now with this new knowledge and teach somebody else how to love God? That's a challenge for each one of us. We must, as an individual, take the initiative and the responsibility to go over and over to that point where we can have the loving, tender care that Christ had and bring people to God. We might be getting 
It'd be a little small group right here, but Christ has always started small. He started with 12, didn't he? Never had a whole lot more than that. 120, I think, was when Christ died. There was about 120. And thousands came, but they fell back down too, just like they have already. So God is starting small with us. He's teaching us to be kings and priests, rulers and teachers. Are you ready to be a ruler and a teacher? page 38 in your hymnals. Page 38, please stand. Page number 38.
Thank you for it all, for all things that you bless us with in the name of Christ Emmanuel. Amen. Amen.